Ladies and gentlemen, assalamu alaikum and welcome to episode 2 of On the Radar. Uh, this is Zaki Khalid. And this is Talib Rai. Uh, we're joined today by Fizan Rai. Uh, Fizan is a graduate of MSc Modern South Asian Studies at the University of Oxford and the Department of War Studies at King's College London, where he completed his BA. His research interests include international relations theory and security studies with specific focus on constructivism and infrastructure. He is passionate about pursuing interdisciplinary approaches to analyze and explain global phenomenon. He has extensive work experience stretching from government and public affairs in South Africa to experience an international defense trade in the UK and Pakistan. Fizan currently works in a major global technology firm across five key sectors, defense, security, aerospace, and transportation. Welcome to the show, Fizan. Thank you so much, Zaki and Tala. It's very, um, I'm very happy that you invited me on today and I look forward to the, the interesting and productive discussion. It's a pleasure to have you with us. So before we begin, Fizan, uh, could you just quickly tell us about the paper you wrote? Why did you focus on Pakistan's neutrality balancing approach toward MENA? What compelled you to write on this aspect? Yes, sir. Thank you for the question. Um, so this question is, the answer to this question is relatively basic, I think. Um, upon doing research for what to write in this paper, I realized that neutrality was talked a lot in Pakistan when it comes to the Middle East. Um, and so whenever I'd ask someone, oh, what do you think about Saudi Arabia? What do you think about Iran? What do you think about Pakistan's um, um, role in this um, co uh, proxy conflict? Um, immediately people would jump to the conclusion, oh, Pakistan is neutral. They don't have any role to play in this um, other than to ensure the peace between the two countries. And I think that's actually a relatively fair conclusion to come to because, you know, there's legis legislative grounding to such an approach. Um, in 2015, Pakistan uh, voted in parliament to stay unan unanimously voted in parliament to stay neutral in Yemen. But th the problem I had with this answer is that nobody was questioning what do we mean by neutrality? You know, there's various types of neutrality which exist in international relations theory, especially as well as practical diplomacy. You know, um, neutrality is about recognition, but the world doesn't recognize Pakistan as a neutral state. So how is everybody in Pakistan, you know, in media, journalism, academia, government even, I, I found, um, why is everybody saying, oh, Pakistan is neutral? So the purpose of this paper was essentially to investigate the extent to which we can use this word neutrality to, to describe Pakistan's strategic policy in the Middle East and whether we can actually observe this in the context of Iran and Saudi Arabia. And so this overwhelming emphasis on neutrality, I thought, has to be questioned. Um, and I'm, I was therefore surprised that there was such limited attention attributed to dissecting the word neutrality Indeed. in Pakistan. So th that was my rationale behind the paper. Indeed. And just to let the audience know that Fizan's paper is titled Neutrality Come Balancing, Understanding Pakistan's Foreign and Diplomatic Policy in the MENA Region. And it is published in the Journal for Islamabad Policy Research Institute, IPRI, in, uh, in Islamabad. And my first question for you, Fizan, is when you talk about Pakistan adopting a neutralizing come balancing approach, this is a term which you have coined toward MENA. But um, there is concern at, uh, at a personal level, this is my understanding, that uh, this passive approach will only strengthen India and rela relations of India with GCC. Uh, I say this because uh, it might sound too, um, too much of a judgment at this point in time, 
but we do know that uh, some of the arab gulf states have started to quote unquote normalize their ties with israel now before this uh, so called normalization took place um, arab and indian relations were uh, limited because of uh, the contention uh, of recognizing palestine or not but now that that uh, whole uh, equation is out of it and now that the arab countries themselves who are uh, pakistan strategic partners some of them um they now have uh, more avenues to increase their understanding with india now i understand that bringing india into this um, debate might sound like a, a rhetorical question but it is important when we talk about foreign policy what do you have to say on that that's a, that's a really interesting point um so of course when we study pakistani foreign relations india fits into the strategic calculus of things um so I'll answer this in two parts I'll first address the, the India's role in this um triad of um Pakistan Middle East India and then I'll address the where Israel fits into the 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 quad of India Israel Middle East um and Pakistan so just on the India point I think it's interesting that you mentioned that India has recently been strengthening relations with the the Gulf states and that's true but I think so what this paper first does is give you a historical trajectory of Pakistan's relation with the Middle East And essentially to answer your question we have to delve into the historical trajectory of India's relations with the Middle East. And on that point I think you'd realize that often um the the Middle East approach to India and Pakistan has not been connected. Um so whereas mm-hmm. for example the whereas for example the USA throughout the decades of the Cold War was connecting um India and Pakistan to their policy in South Asia the Middle East states have never really truly done this in South Asia. you know india has been such a vital source of economic growth for the for the middle east and especially the gulf countries i mean if you look at the population of the uae i think almost 20% of the population is indian there's more indians in the uae than there are um ethnic emiratis for example and yes absolutely so I right think, i think it's i think it's more important to sort of question whether this attribute this connection is first of all relevant and whether it's applicable um and so in terms of its relevancy i d- i don't think this is the the question that we should be asking in pakistani foreign policy because fundamentally the uae has never seen it that way um you can look at it on the kashmir issue um the arab countries are predominantly silent on the kashmir issue um we found this out very recently actually in the personally i think overemphasized however um it it did occur the recent um split in um thought between saudi arabia and pakistan Uh, regarding the OIC summit and the and Pakistan threatening mm-hmm. to go alone with other more um, strategically aligned countries um so fundamentally to answer this india question i think we have to acknowledge that um as the usa has now done splitting the its policy between india and pakistan and focusing on a self interest strategic perspective rather than you know in what does this mean for the india pakistan bilateral um i think that's a more valid approach to examining india's role in Pakistan's approach to the Middle East. And I think the 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 sooner Pakistan socializes this approach that you know we don't need to connect India in our foreign policy to the Middle East, I think Pakistan would probably fare a lot better in its bilateral relationships with the Middle East, especially economically speaking, because quite frankly Pakistan's economy cannot compare to India's economy, especially when it comes to factors such as trade with the Middle East. India's is exponentially higher than Pakistan's. Um, indeed india's, india's exports are fundamentally much larger than pakistan's to the middle east so rather than comparing and competing with india and the middle east it has to be on a self-interest perspective um 
and a self-interested approach. Um, and so that's a very good point you make there. And uh, I w did see that. I am sure my uh, friend Talha will agree that this is a point which you have repeatedly tried to make uh, um, implicitly and explicitly in your paper that Pakistan mm -hmm. should look into its own interest rather than trying to look at it from another country's perspective. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think um, that is one of my recommendations going forward in this um, Saudi-Iran dispute. But coming on to your second um, triad, which is the, the Isra Israel factor, I mean, it's no secret that there is increasing ties between India, Israel and the USA. They're politically, they've become recently aligned with, with the example of some might call it far right populism, some might call it right wing, some might call it conservative populism, whatever you want to use. The point is that diplomatically and I think economically, especially, there's a lot of um, fusion between these three countries. I mean, you can see it in how they're... So I personally have experience in the defense industry. And if you look at the defense trade between these three countries, relying on increasingly on American imports, um, ventures between India and Israel in the defense arena, um, it's absolutely increasing. And um, for Pakistan, that can be worrying. Um, because obviously um, def Indian defense procurements have a direct impact on Pakistani security. However, Indeed. I will reiterate the fact that I think we, we cannot overemphasize the role of this quad um, of the USA, India, Israel and the Middle East in Pakistan's strategic thinking towards the Middle East. And I'll revert back to my original argument in the role of history is paramount here. Um, and essentially, the Indian Middle East relations have been born out of their long history of diplomatic, economic, military and political relations. And in the same respect, Pakistan's relations have been growing out of their own distinct political, military and economic integration with the Middle East. Um, so I overall, I would say that I think it's important not to overemphasize the role of India in Pakistan's approach to the Middle East. And in, if you look at the specific policy issues, so, for example, the, the Saudi-Iran proxy or um, Pakistan's trade with the Middle East, it, it's its not consequential with India's role in the Middle East. The only place we see where India and Pakistan directly yes. cut, come at odds in, in the Middle East and North Africa region is in Afghanistan, if, if we even consider that in the Middle East and North Africa, which is where Pakistan and India have traditionally supported opposing sides. So I think that's my approach to this um, triad between India, Pakistan and the Middle East. I don't think they're, I don't think they're consequential. Fazan, though you have mentioned that uh, intensive historical inquiry is beyond the scope of your paper, uh, what further antecedent events uh, you could uh, think of apart from Yemen war and Qatar blockade, two prominent case studies that you have embedded in this paper that can be analyzed through the neutrality comparison posture, as you have uh, uh, wrote about uh, uh, how uh, Pakistan opted for balancing during the Yemen war and neutrality during the Qatar blockade. So what further uh, events you can recall in which Pakistan adopted a balancing posture vis-a-vis -vis, uh, uh, Middle East North Africa region in the past? That's a good question. I think, so at the start of my paper, I take you through um, and a brief overview of the history of Pakistan's relation with the Middle East. And I think there's some important conclusions we can draw from this history. And I think I do um, have a subsection which looks at lessons from history. Um, and so the interesting thing about neutrality to come balancing is, is directly linked to world order, which I um, 
convey in the earlier part of the paper where I look at neutrality and balancing as concepts in international relations theory. And how, because they're so directly linked with the balance of power and the structures in the international system, I think the question of looking for neutrality and balancing in different periods of time, it might be a, a bit of a stretch. And I say that because, because the world order has shifted and specifically the order in the Middle East has shifted to become more multipolar, the strategic options for Pakistan have now become different and they're actually quite novel, I would argue. So throughout history, Pakistan has um, um, pursued a more of a balancing approach in the region. In fact, quite a clearly a balancing approach in the region. Um, I described the Pakistan's relations and um, disputes with Egypt in the um, Cold War, um, yeah. which are a good example of how Pakistan's balancing approach causes controversy in the region in the past because it was so closely aligned to the monarchies of the region, it sort of neglected the um, Arab nationalist movements in the Cold War, which were extremely important movements. But Pakistan chose to firmly align with the US Pact, the Baghdad Pact, the Seattle Sento Pact. Um, and so that sort of determined Pakistan's policy in the past, and it caused great um, diplomatic discomfort to uh, people like Gamal Abdel Nasser, the president of Egypt. Um, but I think when, it, I, don't, I don't see it as necessary to look for neutrality and balancing per se in a, from a historical perspective, because I, I think this is a new approach Pakistan has adopted in contemporary analysis. If you look at the, the Cold War um, and you look at the, for example, post-Iranian revolution, we can see that Pakistan still opted for a balanced approach in the Middle East because it was still aligning with the USA in the global, um, in the Afghan war, in the global war on terror that, that followed it. And so neutrality and balancing, I argue, is quite a novel experience for Pakistan. Um, I'm not so sure, this is something that I've coined personally, I'm not even sure this is filtered into the consciousness of the, the policymakers in government or in the foreign office at this point, um, because because Pakistan doesn't really um, um, reveal its um, strategic thinking in terms of um, um, its policies in the region or any sort of defense and security policy, generally speaking. There's no arguing on that. Exactly. So it's... So there is one interesting nugget that I can recall, uh, an observation that I could glean from the part, the historical part that you have uh, mentioned. Yeah. You have talked about how the rapprochement between the divided Arab countries has allowed Pakistan to be uh, less self-constrained about its foreign policy goals in the uh, MENA region. And I think that was a very interesting observation. Yeah, so, no, um, the reason why I chose to provide a historical perspective is because I think rather than focus on the contemporary, all diplomatic relations are products of the past. Okay, um, whether it's the economic relations, whether it's political relations, military relations, these are all born out of norms in bilateral relations. And I think in Pakistan, there's a tendency to focus too much on the strategic calculus, too much on the the realist self-interest, you know, um, balance of power. And I do so in my paper because I think. These are the things that are, are, are fundamentally socialized in Pakistani strategic thinking. But having that historical perspective, having the normative perspective attributed in the study, I think it's so important. And hopefully we can talk a bit more about um, the empathetic diplomacy, which I talked about in the paper as well, because I think that's an excellent example of how Pakistan's um, historical relations um, result in its contemporary policy and how this novel experience of neutrality and balancing um, is best explained in a contemporary case studies. So coming, uh, talking about uh, recent examples, I have something which uh, this is my second question to Fizan. 
um you do remember and uh, i noticed that you didn't mention this in your paper uh, you must have your reasons as well you remember the kuala lumpur summit 2019 that was held last year and it was uh, pakistan was supposed to be a part of it and it was very eager also because our prime minister himself and the foreign minister made several visits to doha and they met with the uh, qatari leadership over there and they had committed their presence alongside figures such as uh, president rajab tayyab erdogan of turkey and uh, president hassan rouhani of iran and uh, obviously when malaysia is hosting it you cannot um, you cannot reasonably expect that that forum is going to uh, promote a particular sect or a particular brand of islam but overall their uh, their stated objective was that uh, they are going to uh, present a discourse which could be internationally acceptable and present a positive light what they say a positive light of islam so uh, but we do know that mainstream media reported that uh, i'm talking about reuters uh, the renowned re news agency they said that um, saudi arabia and the uae had actually pressured pakistan at the last minute to withdraw its participation its high level participation from the summit and uh, because they feared i am quoting reuters quote and quote the kingdom feared being diplomatically isolated by regional rivals iran qatar and turkey unquote so my question to you is do you see that uh, this what aboutery by pakistan on qatar was a balancing act that's a really um, interesting example and the re actually the reason i didn't um put this into my paper is because it happened after the paper was published um so that, that that's the direct answer but i think from a conceptual perspective let's let's analyze this issue because it's extremely interesting i'm very happy that you raised it um so the kuala lumpur summit as you rightly suggested pakistan was um or at least they were shown to be interested in joining but they were in but then as as you just explained they were pressured by the saudi arabia so, so as is reported by media outlets um it's interesting because since Imran Khan has come to power he's been very vocal um about this this new triad um Pakistan Turkey Malaysia you know they want to make a a tv channel which promotes um uh Islam as a, a peaceful religion and to counter islamophobia around the world and things like that but going directly to neutrality and balancing at this example um it's interesting because i would say it's still a neutral it still complies with Pakistan's neutral policy in the Qatar Saudi Arabia dispute and the reason okay. i say this the reason i say this is because the the reason i say this because when Pakistan agreed not to attend this summit it's very capable of also relaying Pakistan's foreign policy is very smart in the fact that it's very capable of paying lip service to all the states stakeholders involved it wishes to secure its bilateral relations with and if we look at the context okay the most important thing about neutrality and balancing is context right and so Indeed. the context the context of the gcc dispute is a different context to the context of the malaysia summit right and so broadly speaking in the gcc dispute pakistan has remained fundamentally neutral i argue i don't think there's been any direct or indirect involvement pakistan compared to the yemen war for example and so i think the malaysia summit is something that's bigger it's bigger than the the gcc dispute and um, between qatar and the various gcc countries and i think that's why i say that neutrality is still adhered to um within the gcc arena however in this arena it could be viewed as questionable but i don't think undermining and the reason i say that um 
is because Pakistan was still able to convince Qatar even after the summit and convince Iran and convince um, Malaysia that they still want this strategic initiative to move forward with Turkey as well. Um, and so this this quad of Islamic nations, I think, is a separate initiative to anything that's between Qatar and Saudi Arabia, right? Um, Saudi but Arabia. Fizan, let me. Uh, I'm sorry. Let me interject over here. So, if I'm if I'm trying to understand you correctly, was Pakistan's withdrawal at the last minute an attempt to balance, or was the uh, was trying to explain its position to Qatar the balancing factor? Which one of these was it? So the, the balancing factor in this um, case study is the balancing of the Saudi relations, but it's not directly um, b due to the, the Qatar relations. Um, okay. this, this, is, this was a balancing act because it was to manage Saudi expectations of, what, of how to create the global Islamic order, which is an interesting um, concept because Saudi Arabia still views itself as a leader of the Islamic world. Um, it's still the leader of the OIC fundamentally, which all these countries are still part of, remember. Qatar never withdrew from the OIC. Malaysia is still part of the OIC. It was, just, yes. it was an attempt to ensure that Saudi Arabia maintains its leverage so that um, a new or Islamic order can't be curated in the international system. And so I, I, I see this as a different context to the, the Qatari PCC dispute, because in that arena, and I think even after the Kuala Lumpur summit, Pakistan hasn't really changed its position. Nothing's changed, even despite the leverage Qatar might be putting on them, despite the strategic initiatives with Turkey, Iran, Qatar, Malaysia, and all these countries. Um, and quite frankly, I don't think this this quad of country seeks to undermine Saudi Arabia as the leader of global Islam, for political Islam at least. Um, I think this was okay. a, a specific case where they, they wanted a summit, but Saudi Arabia in felt insecure about its position as a global leader of Islam and so leveraged this expectation in Pakistan and so it was to manage its bilateral with Saudi Arabia more so than to balance with Qatar or to um, disable um, its neutral stance in the GCC Qatar dispute. So I think it's imperative I think to remember that context is the context are very specific and you know thinking broadly in foreign policy is good However, neutrality come balancing is a very contextualized approach. There's two case studies which I looked at, which is the GCC dispute, which is um, the, the the Yemen war. Um, but there's another a number of things I could have looked at. So, for example, the Syria conflict might show something different. It might show more of a mix of balancing or neutrality and things like that. So, you know, context, I think, is the most important factor here. So my second question is that uh, uh, I was reading this commentary by Fan Hongda, a prominent uh, Middle East watcher and a professor at Shanghai International Studies University. So in his latest commentary in the Singaporean United Morning Paper, he has said that China should stop overestimating, over, quote unquote, overestimating the influence of Arab states, pay more attention uh, to the growing influence of three non-Arab countries. Turkey, Iran, and Israel, and should stop limiting its ties with the Arab countries as it does not reflect China's level of development and its stature as, as quote-unquote as the second superpower. China should prevent Middle Eastern countries from choosing sides, again quote-unquote, between China and the United States as they have a more sober understanding of the balance of power in the region. So uh, do you think that this new uh, 
understanding of how China should conduct its politics with the Middle Eastern region uh, would translate in, uh, in, in, in a somewhat different manner uh, as because China is a strategic partner of Pakistan and uh, we, we know that because you have written this paper in Pakistan, uh, Pakistan's neutrality comparison poster between Pakistan and Middle East and North Africa region. So how it would translate uh, 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 in a larger context between foreign policy relations of Pakistan and MENA? How uh, do you read uh, the understanding of uh, Fan Hongdao and this uh, new Chinese thinking vis-a-vis -vis Middle East and how it would translate into Pakistan's Middle Eastern relations. Yeah, it's interesting. So can you just confirm, so the, the quote says China should focus more on Turkey, Iran, and Israel. Another country, Israel rather than the traditional Gulf states, right? Yes. Yeah, so that's an interesting analysis and not something I've come across um, personally, but the, the way this fits into Pakistan's um, foreign policy within the Middle East is interesting. Um, which again, I'll reiterate the fact that Pakistan should pursue a self-interest approach because fundamentally a lot of these countries are not associating Pakistan with all these international um, foreign policy goals and initiatives. Um, and so the fact that China should focus more on, for example, Turkey and Iran, um, I think is quite beneficial for Pakistan because if there's more Chinese integration with countries like Turkey or Israel or Iran and things like that, these are opportunities for Pakistan, right? Pakistan's economy is not in a very good position over the last five, well, people would say for decades now, um, since the 90s. And so if China is interested or in these other, these newer emerging countries who are challenging the status quo of the Middle East, um, I think that is a fundamental opportunity for Pakistan to engage with China and to engage with these countries. Okay, the Israel issue is very complicated in Pakistan, and Pakistan has shown no Pakistan has shown has shown no desire to um, integrate a, a, at all with the Middle East. However, if if China has an interest in engaging with Turkey, and especially in the economic sense, um, that's a fun, that's a fantastic opportunity for Pakistan to also get involved in strategic initiatives, not only to enhance Pakistan's economy, but for Pakistan an opportunity for Pakistan to establish itself as a strategic partner, a strategic ally. Um, in, in, in these new relationships and initiatives. And I think China's um, BRI initiative, the Belt and Road Initiative, um, seeks to span across essentially all the corridors, all trade corridors around the world. And obviously CPEC and Pakistan is an important part of that. But the more Pakistan gets involved in Chinese foreign policy objectives and Chinese mm -hmm. economic policies around the world, I think these are excellent opportunities for Pakistan to um, Pakistan to develop its economic potential um, as well. Let, let's look at an example. So if, if, if China is interested in um, Iran, for example, one of, was one of the countries you mentioned. Um, first of all, to speak directly to the to the question you asked. So if if China should pay more attention to these emerging challenging emerging and challenging countries rather than the, 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 the Gulf countries, Pakistan, this is an opportunity for Pakistan. That's essentially what I'm arguing. But the example which I want to use is if, if China is interested in Iran, um, in the energy sector, for example, which is one of China's fundamental aims, energy security is part of the BRI. Indeed. That, is, that is an overwhelming opportunity for Pakistan to get involved and secure its own energy security. Pakistan has traditionally imported such limited amounts of energy from Iran that, it's, in my opinion, is actually quite concerning. But because 
of international sanctions on Iran and often Pakistan's structural inabilities and inefficiencies of getting work done, for example, oil pipelines. Um, China is an extremely valuable partner um, for Pakistan to engage with some of these initiatives with emerging, challenging um, countries mm -hmm. in the Middle East. And I think Iran is a good example of that in the energy perspective. Turkey is a good example of that in the defense, um, economics um, and political perspectives. And I think, if anything, all of these things enhance Pakistan's opportunities to engage in the global economy. Um, but also make some political friends along the way. And I think all these countries are on Pakistan's radar. Imran Khan is actually a very interesting figure. And I think there's a bit of a, a break from previous administrations in that we can see that Pakistan is now pursuing a more um, opportunity-centric foreign policy rather than some sort of loyal, loyalty-based foreign policy. And whilst Pakistan has traditionally been very loyal to Saudi Arabia, very loyal to China, and it seeks to do so in the future, also these countries which are challenging the status quo and sort of turning heads in China, turning heads in America, turning heads in Iran, countries like Turkey, um, provide invaluable opportunities for Pakistan, I think, to engage um, and to establish its footprint in the global economy, especially. So, so um, I hope my, that answers your question directly. No, you have addressed a lot of my, uh, lot of what I had in mind. Great. Um, Fizan, my uh, last question to you is, and this is the one which I intentionally kept uh, for the end was, um, when I concluded your paper, there was this uh, measured sense of optimism, which I found to be interesting because it wasn't exaggerated, it was pragmatic, and it presented a roadmap based on what you believe. And this is the point you have repeatedly stressed that Pakistan we can talk about China, we can talk about Turkey, we can talk about XYZ, but at the end it is Pakistan for its own national self-interest. It will have to calibrate itself accordingly, whether it is through the neutrality approach or the balancing approach. So uh, I must say that uh, that uh, element of uh, measured uh, optimism is appreciated. But I want to ask you this because at the risk of sounding pessimist, um, you conclude in your paper, and I quote, Pakistan has insisted on flexing various tools of statecraft depending on the crisis at hand, unquote. Now, without going into too many details, if you just look at, you know, the past five or six years, and again, I'm just giving you the examples from another perspective because I want you to highlight your point of view based on the paper you've written. We know about the st comprehensive strategic partnership between the UAE and uh, India, and you very rightly mentioned about India's economic clout in the Arab Gulf region. And we also talk about Pakistan's non-participation in the Yemen war, which might not have cost us as much as we thought we would, but um, it did incur a lot of uh, bad diplomacy for us. So ultimately, what would you say if you would just to round it up without going into a particular event that this approach of Pakistan, which in your your words is, uh, you know, the flexing the various tools depending on the crisis at, at hand, that ad hoc approach, you know, that um, we have to adjust ourselves accordingly. Uh, don't you think that from the strategic and economic perspective, it has actually um, caused more uncertainties for Pakistan in the long run instead of, you know, um, may, uh, getting us into a, a proper 
a long-term roadmap through which we know this is the path which we are supposed to follow from the foreign policy angle. What would you say on that? Has that ad hoc approach, uh, is that uh, still, uh, would you suggest that that should continue? That's a good question. I think it's interesting because, because the, what I argue is that this approach is essentially very different from what we've seen before, where before some analysts would say that, oh, Pakistan has had this secure approach, right? Um, it's, it, it knows its allies. It knows where it wants to make friends. It knows where it doesn't want to make friends. Um, traditionally, it's been very reliant on America for economic and military aid. Um, it's been very reliant on Saudi Arabia. So Pakistan has had this strategy, okay? I'm not saying that um, Pakistan um, was strategy-less. It's just us as academics, as analysts, we can't engage with strategies because they're not officially published as doctrines. So um, there, there, there has always existed um, from a behavioral perspective or a normative perspective. I think normative is an important word here. But Pakistan has had a foreign policy strategy but I think it's been so limited and it has failed on so many occasions to promote Pakistan's economy, to, to ensure political stability, to refrain Pakistan from entering um, war zones. Um, it hasn't ensured Pakistan's security um, because it's been based on this idea of loyalty. And I think um, recent thinking in Pakistan is suggesting that having an ad hoc approach to crisis is better in the long run for self-interest and growth economically, politically, and militarily, rather than relying on these these notions of loyalty, which Pakistan has done for almost 70 years, I would argue. It's been very loyal to its partners, and it has incurred many losses by being loyal to its partners, um, especially in the economic realm. I, let's go back to the example I just gave. Why has Pakistan not imported energy from Iran? Okay, it wants to be an internationally recognized player in the normative sense, saying, look, con good countries don't trade with countries who are internationally sanctioned for being I quit bad country, right? Um, but from an ad hoc yes. perspective, it makes absolutely no sense to me um, why energy has not been imported from Iran or why has Pakistan, even in the India sense, for example, I know it's controversial, but why is there not increasing trade to ensure better relations with India? Okay, like it, there's so much growth potential in Pakistan. And I think the current administration is interesting because whilst it touts these ideas of loyalty, it pays lip service to Saudi Arabia, UAE and the Gulf monarchies and to America. It's also, I think, entrenching this ad hoc approach. And I think Imran Khan, if I'm not wrong, has actually quoted in the past. Uh, look, Pakistan's now done with the with the um, with the, with the traditional approach to international affairs. Pakistan is a peace yes. loving. We want to engage where there's opportunities. Um, of course, we have China, we have Saudi Arabia. But the, the relationship with America will now be on an ad hoc basis. We, don't, we won't rely on America. We won't procure defense um, equipment from America based out of loyalty from an agreement in 1954, which we signed in the Cold War. But rather, we're going to engage with America when there's mutual benefit because we're equal partners. And I think that is an ad hoc approach. It's not, it's not, it's not a strategy yet because it hasn't been... From a, from, from a temporal perspective, it's not ingrained in Pakistan foreign policy as at the moment. But um, I think this ad hoc approach is the first step in breaking away from these loyalty-based foreign policy that Pakistan has followed in the past. And I think um, some of the other initiatives that Pakistan has to get involved in is increasing trade with Turkey, increasing trade with East. I, I, I saw in your last podcast, there was an intensive discussion about uh, Pakistan looking towards the East, Japan, Malaysia, Singapore, the ASEAN reason in general. Um, 
And I think the interesting thing about Pakistan is that whilst we emphasize Pakistan's bilateral relations with China, for example, Pakistani trade with ASEAN nations doesn't pose a risk to Pakistan's relation with China because China itself has extensive relation, economic relations with ASEAN with ASEAN countries. Indeed. Investments there. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's their largest trading partner. Exactly. China is currently the largest trading partner. Yeah, exactly my point. So the global economy right now, and I, and I emphasize economic aspect because I think that's the most crucial in Pakistan's um, troubles at the moment. The global economy right now is very, very interesting because we're now shifting towards a more multipolar environment. And this is a, a deeper theoretical point about the international system. But when there's multipolarity, there's opportunity. Um, and so what, you can be friends and you can be on the opposing ends on a diplomatic table in a different dispute. I mean, Russia and Turkey are such an interesting example in the world economy right now, um, where, you know, they're, they're competing in Azerbaijan and um, Armenia as we speak. But you know, they're, they're on the same side in another dispute or um, they're against each other in Syria. So there's, it's really interesting to see how countries are now strategic allies, but also confrontational. And I'm not promoting Pakistan be confrontational at all. I'm just using this as an example to show to you that the ad hoc approach is actually probably what's, what we're witnessing in the world today. I think it's, it's hard to argue that many countries in the world have a very secure, defined, grand strategy in foreign relations. And I think it will be misnomer to um, say that because by virtue of being a state, you have a grand strategy in foreign affairs. And I don't think that's true anymore because we're seeing so much differentiation. We're seeing so many um, mm -hmm. interesting pockets where countries are pursuing completely different and radical and shifts away from historic foreign policies in those arenas, those very specific arenas. So I think, again, context is the most important. I think interests are obviously always going to govern but I think Pakistan, and I just want to finish, um, if I may, with this, with this, yes, extremely, if, with this extremely important point, um, where you know normative thinking is finally, I would say, finally entering the Pakistani uh, policy-making circles. And by normative thinking, I mean Pakistan is very concerned now with the recognition from the international system, whereas I think in the past maybe it was not so much, or at least it didn't openly advocate it. But Pakistan's very um, concerned with ideas of what it means to be a well-behaved state. It wants to be recognized as a peaceful international state. It doesn't want to be sanctioned. It doesn't, uh, it doesn't want to engage in um, conflicts. It doesn't want to, um, you know, procure military equipment from the USA for the sake of it. It's, it's more concerned now, I would argue, with um, these normative titles and these normative labels. And it's something which India has been doing for a long time. India has seek status within the international system is one to be labeled responsible. It, that explains its nuclear policy, its economic policy, its climate policy. And so I think whilst, as a, whilst a clear grand strategy is important for all states, no doubt about it, it's fundamental for the practice of statehood. I think the ad hoc approach right now, as we speak in the contemporary crisis Pakistan's face, Pakistan faces, I think the ad hoc approach is correct whilst it develops secure grand strategy for foreign affairs. A good takeaway. A good, good takeaway from the session. Indeed. And I think um, now that, uh, first of all, I'd like to thank Fizan for giving us his time and joining us in this program. Uh, it was wonderful to hear your perspective in detail. And uh, uh, to the audience, uh, we tried to limit our focus to Fizan's paper. But 
the some of the questions were derived from it though some of the contents may not be in the paper itself but i think the point of this program was for fizan uh, over here to share us his perspective on in the exact framework through which he wrote the paper and as uh, fizan has mentioned if i can wrap it up uh, some of the key takeaways from the talk today was that number 1 pakistan uh, attuning itself to the normative framework in the international relations sphere so i think that's one key takeaway an observation by fizan which merits a uh, considerable attention by the uh, regional as well as international community but particularly our region our neighbors such as iran and uh, arab gulf countries which have uh, tried to decontextualize pakistan's bilateral relations with uh, uh, different countries and this is where uh, fizan also uh, concludes his paper he mentions that policy options are determined by the parity and i quote bilateral ties between pakistan and the respective actors in turn promoting national self interest unquote so while uh, it may appear point number 2 it may appear that pakistan is going in a directionless avenue uh, for now uh, the ad hoc policy seems to be uh, doing uh, what uh, a strategy may not be able to do pakistan has been able to not uh, get itself embroiled into the sort of controversy which otherwise it could have gotten into and uh, lastly i think one of the other important takeaways is that uh, when we talk about pakistan's approach to mina i think the most fundamental point my friend talha um, might agree with me is that uh, this thinking by fizan it is actually a very fresh perspective and this is exactly the sort of uh, opinion which was shared by our previous guest on another totally different topic uh, uh, referring to east asia that Uh, we are for far too long we are trying to uh, look at pakistan's r- relations with a particular region uh, while taking a, an extra regional actor into consideration and i think it's about time that pakistan tries to uh, look uh, adopt an inside out approach uh, toward the uh, regional system at hand and when it comes to mina pakistan should not just look into what uh, xyz country must say but it must adopt a uh, neutrality where it does, uh, seems that neutrality is going to come into effect and it must balance itself where it must and um, finally i would like to say that um, uh, fizan over here very clearly mentioned that uh, he sees signs of this current administration of prime minister imran khan uh, trying to bring pakistan out of the previous uh, quagmire if i may use the term So uh Fezan do you have any last thoughts before I wrap up this program once again thank you for joining us Thank you so much for inviting me no I think you summed it up extremely well I think the the most important take home point is is the the shift in policy which we're seeing in Pakistan from a loyalty based foreign policy to an an interest based ad hoc approach to foreign relations um with with a normative element to it which I think is understudied in pakistan i think merits a lot of attention going forward indeed and before uh, we i conclude the audience is requested you can check out the description of this youtube video you'll find a direct download link to fizan's paper on the ipri journal uh, you can uh, access the paper from there as well uh, please uh, share your feedback with us thank you for joining us fizan talha it was a pleasure to have you as well thank you goodbye Thank you so much.